0: Welcome back to the Going to Match podcast. Today, I'm joined by former Everton, Rangers, PSV, and Man City defender Michael Ball. Michael is now a football agent and consultant, and has a column in the Liverpool Echo. Michael, thanks for giving me time today, mate, and coming on the podcast.
1: No problem at all. Hello, gang.
0: <laughs> okay, so I want to take I want you to take us back to your childhood and growing up in Liverpool, being a blue and watching Everton. How did your love for Everton Football Club begin? Um, it's me, through my me father uh, my father's side of the family really um
1: my dad was in the pub game um i was you know i was born just off i was born on Lowell street just off county road there uh, so that's close to you know, Good- Goodison park of them uh, my dad moved into a, a pub called the tramways which is not that far away so you know I, I was always in the round. football fans coming into the pub and celebrating before and after the game and I used to be like a young kid, sort of you know, three, four years old, sticking my head out the window watching them all go to the game. And <laughs> when I got when I got a bit old enough, you know, my dad used to t- take me down there, and uh, I think sometimes he used to sneak me in <laughs> sometimes. And then <laughs> uh, you know, and like, you know, just just going to the game with me father. And me, my, my dad's side of the family, you know, are quite big. My dad's one and nine, and. Like majority of them all went the games again, so it was like a big family occasion for us all, and all oh. my cousins, would be, all my cousins would be there as well. So it was like a like a big meeting up point for us all mm-hmm. to get together, watch the watch the Blues, and obviously we were successful, you yeah. know, at that period of time. So it was it was pretty easy following uh, them. That would
0: be like the Dogs of War around, time around then.
1: Uh, no, it was early eighties. Uh, early eighties. Dogs of War was like more nineties, uh, wasn't it? Oh, okay. uh, so the eighties when we were. You know, we were successful. You know, have the, the, the three FA Cups on the shot, 845 86, the finals, and yeah. Uh, yeah. winning the league and stuff under Howard Kennel the first time round. So it was a successful period, probably you know, Everton's most successful period. So being a, being a youngster and going there. And, it was easier um, than you back then. It was, it was a lot easier than it is trying to take my kids to the game. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so do you remember, like, the first match you went to as a fan? And is there anything that stands out that you can remember from, like, your first match to experience?
1: No, no. My dad always talked about the first game, and uh, I think Everton won five 0 I think it was, it was uh, against Luton or some or something, but I can't. I was too young to remember. But um, probably when I got to about four or five, that's when I started going a bit more regular. And um, and then a, 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 bit, a big occasion was obviously the cup final '86. Uh, remember getting last minute. I didn't have a ticket, and then uh, one of my father's friends finally got me a ticket the day the, uh, the day before the game. So I was shot down with. Uh, the friend of the family on the train and that train journey just seemed to take, I don't know, forever as a kid. You know, you know, you're like when you get in the car with your parents, are you there yet? Are you there yet? I, I was like that on the train for it just felt I was on the train for like 12 hours, probably had two sleeps and still wasn't there and finally got to the game. And unfortunately, it wasn't the, uh, the result for the blue half of the city. But I just remembered the whole, um, you know, traveling down, meeting up with my family, my granddad, and then um to go in the game and watching them all warm up and the, the songs the Merseyside, side both sets of fans singing Merseyside. side and yeah. it was just a, you know a, a great occasion of, of, of something that sort of stuck with me that you, you you know you'd love to be a part of one day in your dream as a boy as a kid that you know this is that football's all about and uh, unfortunately for, for me I, you know it was uh, me dad and me uncles uncles all wanted to carry on having a few <laughs> Uh, a few drinks like we sort of got uh, locked in, <laughs> locked in the, uh, the hotel room with my cousins to, <laughs> to wait for them to, <laughs> to come back after the, a few um, disappointment pints to get over the the result.
0: <laughs> so do you still go watch Everton now, like obviously as a fan? Because obviously you can go now without your, like, you, your professional careers like done now, so you haven't got your, your professional hat on as much. Do you enjoy going back to watch Everton more as a fan now?
1: Yeah, that was that was. Um, I've always tried to, you know, when I when I was home or you know when I was back playing from Rangers I and mean, we'd have maybe a break in of the game. on, I'll try and get the odd one or two. And obviously, because you play, you don't get as many games as you'd like. But as soon as the you know I've retired from the game and and especially I got me piece in the in the uh, the Echo that it made me sort of, you know started going to the game and joining it again as a fan. You know, normally you were sort of you know still a professional. You've got that sort of eye on. You look at the game in a different perspective really when you're still a player. Um, but then you you can sort of let yourself go now. You know, I've got no ties for anyone. I'm just back from being a blue the way I was as a child and just you are know, taking my children in the game and um you are know, just enjoying what my dad did to do, to pass it down to my kids and hopefully we can be successful and yeah. uh and go with my friends and you could be up all my friends, you know, when he got a little bit older, we all used to going to Gladys Street together got a good gang of eight, eight to twelve of us every every game and uh, I was a YTS at the time so I'll be at Goodison cleaning the balls or on the pitch with Nev and then as soon as I've done my little jobs so I'll be running around the, uh, the, the front of um, Goodison and around the back into the Gladys Street to meet up with all my mates to, to support, them, support the Blues so that was, did,
0: did, that you was, it of, was a, did you kind of sorry did you kind of think at that time like this is mental like Got your YTS and stuff then, but then, like you say, after the games and stuff, you just hang around with your mates. Just, like at the time, do you think like this is mental?
1: It, was, it, it just gave me. A, it made me more hungry, um, and, and at the time we probably weren't doing too well. So you start thinking this is a possibility now. You know, I'm getting a little bit closer. I'm only YTS. I'm only cleaning like the balls and helping. You know, Big Never who was an absolute legend, and yeah. you know, to, you know to, to support, but sort of sh- sharing the changing rooms with them and. And Big Nev used to like going out and warms the So many Evertonians will know that, you know, he'd be on the pitch 11, 11.30. eleven thirty. They're doing keepy ups with his shins on the on the um, the halfway line and you <laughs> know, just to be a part of that stuff that I used to watch as a kid and and think, you know, he's mad, what's he doing? You know, we've got a game in a couple of hours and then I'm a part of that with a couple of other, you know, YTS lads and you know, James Spear and, and other goalkeepers that we had, you know, Big Nev was you know, he ran this show, so to be a part of it, you just just did whatever he did. Um, and then you go to the Gladys Street and you turn into a fan again and you're probably giving the player a stick, yeah, <laughs> you know. <yeah. laughs> but in my mindset, you know, you're just thinking, you know, you sort of colleagues, but then also in your way of my dream, of, you know, of my passion of wanting to put that blue shirt on for real. So it's sort of loads of mixed feelings. You obviously want them to do well. You always want them to do well, but then you you want your opportunity. Um, yeah, yeah, so building you know, your so, isn't it? Yeah, and it gives you the taste of it, um, and especially being around Belfield. Belfield was you know, sadly gone, but I mean, that was a, it was a great training. A very small and very old, but it just had a a great feel to it. You know, the history behind all the you know, the magical players. I played for the club. have come through them doors, and you know, the pitches were fantastic. And you know, and you know that was always like, um, you know, you're a part of it now, and then can you sort of leave a bit of a legacy and and start your own career? You know, that's just that's what you. You get the taste of it and you see the you know, the, the massive pros, of big dunk, Nev and Dave Watson and, and Gary Speed and all these players that, you know, you, you'll just watch them and you just sort of stalk them as a kid. You know, you're sort of watching every little part of what they do good and bad and, and trying to add it to your game to make you a better player you know, as, as well. But as a, as a fan, it was it was always just going to, you know, like maybe cup finals. I thought it was a bit of a jinx at first, you know, because 86 and then they were... Uh, 89, I went. Um, we both got beat by by you lot. And then when it, when I was in um, at the the Limerick National School, they, you know, they let me out for the day. Sounds like it was in prison. Then they let, they let me out for the day, so uh you know, to go and watch the Cup Final in '95. Uh, that I used to share with Wes Brown. So Wes went with Man United. I went with the Everton school boys, and you know. Luckily enough, we we come on top that game, and it was one of them games I didn't really want to go because I thought I'd beat two cup finals and we'd be being beat twice. But so, you know, luckily we we got that one. Um, and a, a big memory is, well, it probably wasn't the game. It was 1987 when we won the league. Um, yeah, but my dad had the same. My dad's just stuck in his old ways. Like we go to the game, and then you go to the Wimslow. It's the pub, right? you know, stone's throw across yeah. from the main entrance to Goodison. Uh, and that's where you meet up with the, the rest of the family, and they'll, they'll talk about the game, who was good, who was rubbish. And I was just a young kid there, just sitting there and listening to them all, and probably getting 50p off them you know, to, to go out to shop and something, and they wouldn't buy you a drink in the Wimslow and just little bits like that. But then we won the league. And um, 80, 87, everyone was outside the Wembley, so going through the whole team. Like there's only one Neville Southall, and you know, number two Gary uh, Gary Stevens and Pat Van Den Eynde going through them just singing and being joyful. And and you know, that was that's what you go to game for. You know, that's... meeting your family and then Everton winning things. It was it was good. So it was you know, I've been a staunch blue you know ever since. And that's because we were successful and it was just happy times.
0: Yeah, I suppose like you say that, if you win the league and. <laughs> you go in with your family and stuff, it means more, doesn't it? You're sharing these moments together and the memories forever, aren't
1: they? It is. And I think that's what, you know, obviously a lot of clubs, you, know, you, you want to be successful, but I think that it helped me be a real sort of blinkered and, you know, top two blue is that we were winning things and I didn't see like the, the difficult times you know everything just seemed to be a bit too rosy the only difficult times when we got beat you know maybe when Lee scored against Chelsea to, to snatch the league off us and you know um you know that was, that was another sort of occasion where you know, so my uncle had a, in one of the lounges so sometimes we'll be in the lounges and I'll be like the little kid who would have to run over to the tv in the corner there used to be see yeah. facts on there and give everybody the uh, the up-to-date half-time scores and full-time scores before the pink echo arrived and you know, I just love being a part of it all. And, um, you know, it was just you no, know, fantastic you know, times for me as a childhood. And I just hope uh, everything can start being a bit more successful so my kids can enjoy it.
0: <laughs> so you touched on the uh, National School Lily Shore there. So you went there as a youngster, so you were playing alongside likes of Michael and Stephen Gerrard. What was your time like then? And did you know at an early age you'd go on to have a successful career in the game?
1: I, I, yeah I always I was always hopeful uh, and I think like like many many kids that age it's your dream so you know your school teacher will say the opposite you know don't be so daft as which you got told so many times think of a you know a proper career and but that just made him more hungry more determined to prove them wrong um you know Stephen Jarrett never actually came to so, uh sure. for, for, for some reason he never got picked which you know you should have but you know, there was Wes Brown, there was Wes Brown, Michael Owen, uh, John Harley, uh, Stephen Aslone played for um, Kenny Lund's crew. We had, a, we had a very very strong side, um, and that was for over a two year uh, period. Like a, um, you went to a normal school, and you just trained every day with the, the FA coaches, and that sort of gave me um, a stepping stone really for when I, I joined Everton uh, for the YTS, That I was probably ahead of them a little bit uh, because I've had this day, everyday training that they yeah. probably only having once maybe twice a week uh, you know after their school time I was getting training once a day maybe mm-hmm. twice a day for, for two years so well, I was be beneficial just, wasn't it? it was very yeah and you know it's, it, it was very beneficial for all of us you know I think a few of us all had dodgy knees and i you know Michael <laughs> and myself and Wes I think we paid the price a little further down the line but it was something you have an opportunity to do you, you're going to grab it and you know, leaving home, you know, they say it was a you know, it's gonna be a difficult for a two year period, but you you'd see your parents once a week because you play against like uh, there were sixteen in each year, so you'd play against Everton on the on the Saturday, on a Sunday, or you play Liverpool the following Sunday. So you see your parents every week. Um and you just hope for a few more snacks and a few more drinks off your parents and then off you off you go. And it was it was just yeah it's it's like a boarding school but we just had a laugh. There was thirty two lads between fourteen and fifteen, and you just make the most of it. And yeah. you know obviously the people trying to look after us, you know they had, a, <laughs> they had a difficult difficult chance. But the coaching itself, you know, we'll work on certain situations. And your yeah, the, the education of football was really mm-hmm. important which gave me, a, you know, as I said, a stepping stone for when I joined Everton. Uh, as a YTS, that it got spotted, luckily enough, very, very early from Jimmy Gabriel, um, you know, another ex-player, and he was in charge of the reserve team. And he, he sort of pulled me to one side and got me playing with the reserves within like a couple of weeks, two or three weeks. So that sort of helped me, um, you know, a bit of a confidence booster, but also to show that uh, I was capable of having a go, um, even though I was still, a bit, still younger than the majority of people around me that I had the ability and I just had to try and keep improving and and then just looking at everybody around me and you know our reserve team at the time was you know it was very good um you know personally you had people like Andre Kinchelskis who were coming back from injuries playing yeah you, you know we had Vinny Samways, uh, Paul Ryder so you had senior pros there and Joe Parkson coming back that you could you could look at again, you know, and just take in everything that they're doing. Uh, they're obviously not probably too not happy to be in the reserves. Um, playing football, but they needed to prove to the manager to get back in the first team. And, yeah. and you know, you see how they dealt with that situation, and that just gives him gives me self education. Yeah. Um, Joe Royal pain. was there, and yeah. I, yeah, it is. And I you know, listen to you know Joe Royal come down and you do the team talk, and you're like, yeah, you know, this is you know, I've, I've got an opportunity. I've got to impress the ma- the manager here, and yeah. they impress the manager, I'll be hopefully in the first team um, very soon. And that's what the way I, I sort of was. I was quite driven to. Obviously, to impress whoever I need to impress to, to get where I wanted to be.
0: So, I believe you were at, uh, at Melwood as a youngster as well, so you've been trained by the likes of Steve Highway. So, obviously, being an Evertonian, um, do you there's people like Carragher that have obviously been a blue. Did you know then that you wouldn't make that transition into being a red because obviously your passion and your love for Everton? Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, let, to, to, to give credit to Liverpool, they did try. He yeah. did try very hard to um to, to make me stay. And you know, it was down to, you know, it was obviously Stephen Highway there, but Hugh McCauley and Dave Shannon were these coaches and mm-hmm. you know, without them three again, you know, they were fantastic coaches. Um just pity they were at Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> they were they were just, you know, they, you know, to this day I still talk about you know, being to um the academy with, with my friends their you know, kids and watching them sort of develop and it it's still in that Liverpool system of how they go about the coaching, the sessions, the you know, the step overs, and, and how to you know, to educate the kids and it's still there. Um, you know, I've got, to, I've got to give them a lot of credit how they sort of handle. It used to give me a lot of stick but back then it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't what they get now. They don't get all the gear and you, know, you get the Liverpool training kits and track suits and your names on. Back then, you just have to wear whatever kit you had and the only kit I had was an Everton kit or a, maybe an England kit. You know, so, I used to get a lot of stick, and I was, you know it was good banter from them. Um, and then when it gets to like the, you know, the important age of you know 13, 14, of you know, signing schoolboy forms, and you know as soon as I knew Everton were interested, you know there was only one one decision I was going to do. And yeah. you sort of you know Howie pulled me in, he got um, you know and McFowler, Ian Rush to come in, and and just basically explain what the situations they went through. Um, you know they explained. Look, you know I'm still a blue, but no, no, I'm, I'm a red now. But you know I still look out for the the, the Everton results and whatever and to do yeah. well. And I'm going, I just can't do that. You know it's just, it's not in me. And Graham Sooners was the manager at that time, and you know we had he had a good talk, and you know he understood. And at the end of the day, he just said, look, son, you know, good luck, follow your heart, whatever yeah. decision you're making. And the only, he said, before you go, you know, I'm English, you're English, I'm Scottish, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and Liverpool ever, ever, but just follow your heart, son, and, you know, good luck. And, you yeah. know, as soon as, I went, as soon as I went home, as soon as I left, I knew, you know, my mum probably wanted me to stay at Liverpool because how good they were and how good the coaches were. But I just knew this was my chance to, to try and, you know, do the dream. That'd be big nana once said to me, you're going to play for Everton and England one day. And I just thought, if I don't go now, you know. I've, I've just got this, and chance school well, boys. have yeah. signed a, a contract with Everton. Your boyhood
0: club is—it's it's now. Yeah, it's like it's the dream every every kid's dream is to play for the, their team? But like on the professional side of it, it must have been great for you to have both Liverpool and Everton wanting you. Like that must have given you so much belief at such a young age.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so. It—it was—it was like um, you no. Know, again, at Liverpool, it was—you know—it was—it was a great we had a great setup, you know, and, you know, great players, there was Gerard Owen, but there was a few more, you know, good lads who were, were getting sort of hand-picked, um, you know, back then who were centre of excellence, so you sort of get, you know, clubs all interested around about that 13, 14, I used to go on trial and, um, you know, to see, you know, I, I think Liverpool have got to let you go, you know, you couldn't stand in the way, The Liverpool have put forward four or five players and, um we'll travel around the northwest really Uh, i think michael probably went to arsenal i think maybe as well but i think i only went to like say leeds oldham Mm -hmm. um man united and uh, everton Uh, and then you sort of wait for a a fax or a letter to see if if they're gonna offer you like a deal um and it's i I think liverpool obviously you know don't want that to happen you know they want you to keep in house but that's just the way it was back then and it was over like maybe like the easter holidays that 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 occasion happens, so you get a chance to train for two or three days to show them what you're capable of. And in, in England, schoolboys is it, it, round about that time, so you go to Keele University. So all the scouts from all the clubs are all there, so they see uh, you know, the handful of all the the good players from each club, and you know they'll pick and choose who they want to bring in for a couple of days to see if they're going to offer them like a YTS scholarship.
0: It's crazy. Like I just think going on to play for your boyhood club must be just. Every, it's every lad's dream, isn't it? So obviously, you go on to play for Everton. You made your senior debut against Spurs, April 1997. What was that yeah. like? Having been a kid going to Goodison every other Saturday, was it like a completely surreal moment for yourself? You know, like how did that compare coming onto the pitch representing the club to having been a fan going to watch like your heroes?
1: Um, I, th- I think now, now it's you know I look back now thinking you know it was a big deal you know but yeah, back yeah. then. Um, I think because I felt like that my debut was never going to happen it just felt like it was it took a long time I've seen other people sort of get the debut I've seen like Branchy get the debut Richard Dunn get the debut and, and I was training with the first team all of that. you know for a, a, and I'm travelling away with the first team and I think that was thought down to Jimmy Gable and, and the managers to get me used to being around the first team players so when the opportunity does come I'm not starstruck. I'm not that Everton fan anymore you know yeah. I'm actually part of the club and you know, you know I won't be in awe of uh, the people around me they're, they're basically my teammates and that seems like I can't remember how long that went on for but it seemed again forever and I was thinking when am I going to get my debut I thought I was going to get an opportunity and it never happened and I thought oh I'm probably not going to happen this season and then you just get a, a lucky break I'm just sitting on the bench thinking you know it's, I'm not going to come on again really I'm not going to bring a youngster on mm-hmm. uh, we're having a difficult time and then um, look, well, unfortunately, unfortunately for the play, but luckily for me that you know, they picked up a bit of an injury, um, Teddy feeling and and uh, my opportunity came, and uh, I was I'm never I'm not a nervous person, you know I sort of just took it in my stride, and you know what's meant to be meant to me, but as soon as I went on the pitch, you know I was only just before half time, so that probably probably helped me a little bit more because you know, I think the goalie made a kick, it went over my head, and then it was half time, uh, and so Dave Watson pulled me. To one side and go, Bully You know what fans like, mate. So go up and show them what you can, what you can do, and exactly. to, put a, you know, put a bit of good tackle in, and yeah. you know, get the fans on your side. So you know, I'd, I you know I've never been booked from the national team for the kids, and I think after about ten minutes, I, like, I thought I could fight Ramon Vega. There's about six. <laughs> <time>. The dragon <laughs> will just be absolutely. <laughs> My yeah, I, it, though, it, it? it was you know I, I don't i don't think i've watched the game back but i probably would have been running around like a headless chicken really <laughs> um but it, it, in me inside i was just obviously proud afterwards because the result was a big result for us we won one nil and uh you know it's probably only when you're walking off the pitch and your camera a cameraman runs over to you and takes a photo you think what you're doing and then you're like oh, okay yeah well, that's good And, and my mum has got that picture and I'm, you know made up that happen because I, I would have been a bit of camera shy and we just walked off but it's something like you look back now and you go you know that was a massive big moment for me personally my family and it's probably more for my dad and my family than it was for
0: myself at that time but now thinking back you retired it's uh, obviously a huge occasion for me there's something that i've always wanted to ask someone that's had like such a successful career in the game like yourself so when you're playing for Everton, obviously they're your club you know a massive passion you have for them is it a lot more difficult being that local lad, kind of carrying the weight of the fan base on your shoulders when results aren't going as great? You know, do you, like, do you look back now and feel you, t- you took it to heart a lot more than maybe the foreign players were because you've been a fan and you know how much the fans care about you?
1: Yeah, yeah, I sort of get... Yeah, I, I get that. And I, um, but I feel... I, I sort of probably got away with it for the majority of my event career. Probably not till, till like the last season because I was still a young kid. Mm-hmm. They would probably look at other senior pros around me before they'll start, say, putting pressure on myself. Um, but, you know, because I broke in so early, there was sort of, you know, I, I was only still young given time, probably attitude. But then as soon as you start getting sort of in the England fold and you start sort of making a the career, then the pressure comes on because you've hit a level and the fans just want that level every time and being a youngster uh, as we know you know youngsters just don't seem to have that level consistent level all the time they have really high high peaks and low dips um, so because we were a mixture of youth and um, older players I think the youth kids sort of freshened up the, um, you know, the senior pros around them had a match coming on the scene and you know, D- Danny probably took a lot of weight of it because he burst onto the sea and scored so many, you know, important goals against big teams. So a lot of probably news and pressure was probably on Danny more than myself being a sort of defensive defensive player. Yeah. Um, and then it probably when we did have bad results, the majority of the time would have been the senior pros? I probably took the took the hits than myself. Mm. Um, but I understand it, it. It used to frustrate you when you you know you've had bad results and you you know you just see. How other senior pros react And it, it used to hurt me a lot. Um, and yeah. then used to look at senior pros and go, "What are they doing? Why are they doing that?" And you know, Dave Watson was—you know—was was great. You know about it. He he, he pulled me once and said, "Mike, if you win, don't get too excited. You yeah. know, celebrate your win, be happy. But then when you—you know—because if you lose, it's going to be a massive drop.
0: Yeah, can you, you see
1: know you've got you've got a massive high to a massive drop, and it's 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 unhealthy for you. So just you know play the whole season, and then you can look back at the season and go. We've done well, or we could have done better, yeah. and then you can sort of celebrate or you know, talk about it then. But you know, don't be the sort of go out celebrating after like one win, and then you going to get beat two or three times on the bounce, it's, it's a massive low. So it, it was how there's nothing you can do as a player, the game's gone. Um, you know, how you react afterwards is not going to change the result, yeah. And that was something I picked up quite early on of like the game's gone, it's disappointing, you know, fans will be frustrated for another week and trust me footballers are even worse they want to play a game straight away if they get beat Saturday you want to play a game Sunday yeah, to right, get out of your yeah. system yeah. you know international breaks and and you've got to wait two weeks you're thinking oh, how, how are we going to turn this around you know people forgot and, Mm-hmm. um you just always want a game to put in a poor performance and change it around to a good performance again and obviously being a blue it's, it's like a you know, it was like a d- double for myself yeah, yeah. um but, you know so it's it just looked at, again as i said earlier on in the piece it's just looking at how you know, people around you sort of did things and you're trying to take the good and the bad out of it to make yourself ready for the next game you know m- moaning and sulking about is not going to help anyone um, and that's what the managers normally try and do um, when you go through a really difficult time it's, it's so difficult because it feels like it's false we're trying to bu- make the training ground buzzy you know, and happy environment but you can't sometimes hide the facts of what yeah, we're struggling now. right now yeah. but you still need someone in there who's got a bit of experience a bit of steel about them to so go come on lads we, we have done it, you know, Richard Goff came in and um, you know he, he used to say you know, a lot of wise words to us all and And, you know, you just go out there and prove it. You know, we we know we can do it because you do it against certain sides. It was just some days it didn't tick for us. And that's the most frustrating thing when you knew you've got decent players around you and we just weren't getting the results. That's frustrating.
0: Yeah. So, you obviously, you go on to sign for Rangers in 2001. Was it, it must have been really difficult for you to leave Everton at the time. But on the flip side, were you really excited about the prospect of playing for Rangers? Because they've got such a, a passionate fan base up there, haven't they?
1: Yeah, they have it was yeah like it sort of came out the blue just, you know I was away you know with my family and friends in the summer and you know you know was hoping to come back and sign a new contract whatever which never happened uh, which was again it was sort of like a dagger in your heart it was really it's took out your hands you've you, you and then you go back pre-season and you get told you're not wanted and you're training with your reserves and that's because the situation never went in and you know that for for you to be the one, you're looking around the squad and look, there's a few you, you you could move on besides myself. I my dream was to captain Everton, you know, so I didn't want to didn't want to leave that club. And you know, the club secretary at the time was the we always used to speak about the future of the club and me being a captain. So that was my little ambition, and I was very driven to make sure that was going to happen. And it's been hard, you yeah. know, I, I I had a good season. I got play of the year, so everything was sort of rosy. I got my number three shirt back for that season coming up so you know I was just ready to go back in pre-season and you know and hit the ground running but then to get told that you know that's not good that's not not going to happen you've got to you know think about yourself and you know how Wilkerson was it was involved in England at the time he phoned me up and and there was clubs there was uh there was Liverpool There was Middlesbrough um oh, really? and there was Rangers and you know me ex me me agent at the time was was Trevor Steven and he just said just come to Glasgow just get away from Liverpool and um, I just chill out up here for a bit so I went up and within like a day you know I met uh, David Murray and he was the chairman of, uh, of Rangers and, and as soon as I met him I felt wanted and that's yeah. you know probably wasn't, wasn't getting at Everton at that time and mm-hmm. it was a you know, massive decision you know going back and saying to all the people you've, you've, you've known for years from the staff and the kitchen staff the kit men and that, and you, you're coming away in tears with your boots to go back up to Glasgow. But then, again, if it's, it's decisions happens. now you've got to focus on, on paying back the loyalty of the to, to, the, yeah. you know, the belief that Rangers have, have, uh, have, have put in So You've got to start putting performances for them, and obviously the fans will be excited for a new sign. And So you've got to just, you know, again, <laughs> really, really difficult. And, re- and my medical, you know, at the time took a very long time. It was very frustrating. I was probably finally relieved that it was all over, that I can just concentrate on my football again and yeah. uh, start showing everybody what, what I was capable of up in Scotland. You know, so me, they had a, again, they had a great, like, you know, great team, great players, full of internationals, big world-class stars, you know, the balls and Carol kind of And, and you, 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 Arthur Newman, a Dutch left back for many years and you've got to think, well, I've got to push him out. You know, people at the time probably thought going to Scotland, you know, it might have been a bit of a cop-out, but, you know, I was probably playing and being man of the match for Everton one week, and then I went up to Scotland, and then I was on the bench. You know, I, I had to sort of, you know, because the manager bought me, it wasn't straight in. I had to go and prove my way to the manager and the players that, you know, I need to, you know, obviously fight for my shirt And, you know, luckily enough, you know, got me opportunity, but it is didn't happen. It last long. It, it was a
0: challenge at the time. Was it like a, you kind of got that fire back in your belly sort of?
1: Sort of yes, yeah. I think well, it's, it's it's a new challenge, you know. You know, I was I was playing week in and week out at Everton the year before, and that's why I got Player of the Year. But it was sort of like um, probably early on in that year uh, I wasn't, you know. So I had to I had to fight. I think we, had, we brought in a couple of left backs at that time. You know, when I was at Everton, I think they brought in Gary Naceworth, they brought in Pistoni, they brought David Unsworth back. And I was thinking, well, that's three other left-backs They brought him. You don't need another left-back, you know. Yeah. So that was sort of – so I got moved to centre-half and probably had my best season for Everton. Um, and, you know, got the player of the year. But then that probably made me get the move to Rangers, you know, with the scouts watching and uh, maybe the connection with the club uh, and Rangers. So, again, you're back into Rangers and against all these other training sessions were very intense. There was a Dutch manager, the uh, who advocate, was, who was called the general. Uh, fantastic coach, very demanding. And you just knew straight away that it's a different level. You know, trading was a different level. You're playing with world-class players who are still hungry for success. Rangers were hungry for success in trying to go on a, you know, a big European one. You know, they were really concentrating on trying to hit the ground running in Europe. And, you know, that was the, you know, the one of the reasons why I went there to, you know, to challenge myself against the best. And um, you know, Yeah. And you're late again, you know, from Everton to Rangers and looking at, you know, at how Ronald DeBoer and, and Michael Moles with the Cloudy Kinadge, yeah, the World Cup winners. How how they sort of how they look after themselves and what do they do? And just he just suck it all in, and that's what I try and tell people now. when you're playing football, just suck everything you can in, and then use whatever you can to add that to your game mm-hmm. uh, to make yourself a better like footballer. If you're not just your your own sort of um, technical belief, it's your mental belief, your understanding the game, the, the reason the, why people are passing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just see football now, people are passing for passing's sake, but it's sort of there's a reason behind it all. And as soon as that clicks in your head, it just makes everything so easy. And you know, yes, at Rangers, we you know, I'm not playing against you know, same teams that have got the same level and same quality players as us, but it's I, I say to people, it's like it was like when a Premier League team plays someone in the FA Cup round three or four, it's a lower team, but it's their cup final, yeah, yeah. And, Mm-hmm. Up in Scotland, if they play well against you, personally, Rangers or Celtic are by you. So they're in the shop window, so it's their cup final. So you have like a right winger giving like giving me stick and making it as, as much of a nightmare as possible for, for me. Yeah, yeah. That if that gets spotted, that's his big move. That's his big move. Maybe Scott Brown's at hibs, you know, and he he, play, he made a bit of a battle about it. And because he's probably done well for a couple of years against the you know, the big two teams, no Celtic snap him up. We um, bought
0: Nacional, novo. not it? Sorry. It's still very much the same now, isn't it? It's, you know, things haven't really changed. It is like like you say, you're fighting to play for yeah. the top teams.
1: Yeah, they are, and you know, obviously there's, there's a few foreign players up there now, but the majority are you know are Scottish. So it's their dream, mm-hmm. you know, it's their ambition to go and play for the team. And, you know, they haven't unfortunately been able to to play in the academy level or, or the reserve level, so they've had to go elsewhere to find their pathway. And then when they get the opportunity to play against the top two, they're going to give it 120%. Yeah, that's um, You know, I know. So it's, it, was, it was always quite difficult for the first maybe 10 or 50. If you haven't scored within 15, 20 minutes, you know, the standard, the Rangers fans were, you know, up. the the, the pressure's on because they, it wasn't just about winning, it was how we won as well. You know, they like to play total football. We like to play football a certain way. You know, there won't be any, hardly any, uh, the ball will be going over, you know, <laughs> over head heights. So, you know, we had to play football. And that was because we had to learn the game. Um, so to t- to learn all that quite early on was, you know, it was challenging, but it was it was good. You know, enjoyed it. I like playing football. You know, that's the way I used to like. Um, you know, sort of helped my style of play. Um, and you got people who were hungry for the ball, and you have three or four options every time you got the ball. It made it all so simple. And and sometimes, yeah, when we, when we get the one, the two, the team sort of heads go down there, you know, and then you might go on and win three or four nil on on a few occasions. But. Uh, you you have to, you know, earn your earn your right. And you know, it's like when I, I I say to people in England, it was like, Yeah, you can go out, but if you just turn up, you're not gonna win. You know, you're not gonna just turn up and win a game. You you've got to put the effort in and yeah. your quality will shine through. If you match them with, you know, the desire, your quality will shine through and you know, um and that's majority what happened. Unfortunately, I got a really bad injury um fourteen, fifteen games into that season and that sort of wiped my Rangers career out for a couple of seasons, which was probably the toughest time of my career. Um, not playing the game that you'd love, you're away from home and you, you just, you know, it, it's just nothing you can do about it. Um, but, you know, but, but, yeah, very frustrating. Um, you're in every day and you're seeing everybody laughing and joking and you, and you you're trying to be a part of it, but you're not. Um, you know, the lads won, you know, a double and a treble, you know, while it was uh, I was there every day seeing all that, and, yeah. you know, I didn't want to go on the pitch at the end of the season to see them all, because I felt like I didn't deserve any of it. It was not to do with me. It was the lads. They deserve all the plaudits, and I just wanted to do it off my own back, and, you know, one day, hopefully, if that happens to me, I'll go on the pitch, and, you know, then I'll take the plaudits. I didn't want to sort of, um, you know, just just join it because I was part of the squad. Uh, but, again, that made me more hungry. The reason why I went to Rangers was to... You, Played Champions League football, but to win things, win silverware. So you know, yeah, and unfortunately, by the time I come back, the club probably wasn't in the same financials um, that it was when they bought me, and a lot, lot of big, big managers left, the big players left, and it was a bit of a bit of a struggle. Um, I played quite a lot of games, in in my first season back, I got Player of the Month in my first month back from two years out. So I was happy that I'm playing to a certain level, I'm getting there, Um, but the not to win silverware was really frustrating in that year and that just made me more hungry that the following year you know um to, so hopefully the club will bring you know bring players back to the club and we can go fight and push Celtic you know to that side they had a, you know, a fantastic team that's you know obviously Hearts and Larson Sutton up front and you know we just have to um start challenging them um and luckily enough for us we, you know that that sees me we won probably the most memorable um championship at the helicopter Sunday, as they call it up there and uh, you know that was you know, again that was you know, the helicopters going one way to give Celtic the trophy, and then we scored and it comes back it comes to us all in the last game of the season and um that was sort of belief again we we' doing I went up there to win trophies and to, and I had to wait to be that close uh obviously fantastic feeling and um, he won the, the League Cup also that year, but the most memorable game up there was probably a one I wasn't playing in. Um, the guys got to the Scottish Cup final against Celtic. Um, he, as the, the sort of squad players or the wives, I think I probably went with on the coaches, you all meet up at blocks and your suits and your flowers on. Yeah. yeah like, we, like you do when you go to Wembley and the coaches go to Hampden Park and they played Celtic in the Scottish Cup final. and. They went behind twice, you know, the one nil, the 1-1 and 2-1 and the the atmosphere was fantastic. You know, half a hand in Celtic, half a hand in Rangers and the atmosphere was bouncing from end to end. Um, and fortunately for the uh, for the teddy bear, Peter, it's called the Peter Lovincran's final. Now he scored, you know, um, in, in, in the dying seconds and, and they snatched a win and won 3-2 so the whole atmosphere of that the way that game was played it's probably one of the best old firms I've seen yeah. as a fan but being sort of half knowing the players and being watching both sets of fans sort of celebrating and going down um, the highs and the lows the celebrations afterwards uh, back at ibrox um yeah that was that's when i've used to watch the old firm games and just think wow you know what a game that is you know it'd be great to ever be a part of that one day but that was that was something else, you know. It was a bit different than having a suit on, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think I think the Rangers fans will, will always remember that. Remember that. And probably, probably fans will remember that as uh, probably the worst cup final for them, and put the best one for Rangers. Uh, it was just the, the, it had everything, you know. The way the old firms are, you know, fast, furious the goals, and the fans, both sets of fans, being you know, unbelievable loud and trying to get behind their team. And um, when you're on the on the on the good side and you win, you always remember them.
0: Did you kind of anticipate that atmosphere to be, you know, so like, because I can imagine it's very hostile up there because it's quite political, isn't it, between the two clubs. How does that atmosphere up there in Scotland compare to England? It's just,
1: you can't really, you know, I, I, um, it, it's, it's difficult because, you know, I've played so many Merseyside derbies that have been probably been very, very poor you know, to watch and yeah. to play in. Uh, you'd probably build them up for. You know, say a Merseyside, you're probably building the derby up for a week, ten days in you know, the local media and the press and the fans getting excited. It's coming up, um, but up in Scotland, the, the national papers, every one of them, like the Mirror, um, all all the national Scottish papers, they're building it up. You know, it's not just the Liverpool Echo. You know, it's every six or seven national papers are all build and it's six or seven pages deep on the old firm coming up. So that they generate the sort of the. The atmosphere and the pressure building up for it all and you know as a player you, you love it because that's what you want to do you want to play against your arch rivals you want to you know, prove I mean, a point against happened. them so you know as a you know, as a player it was great it was a great buzz you know some you just hope that, that the fans will behave themselves and it's it's just going to be hostile but you know, you know a, a great you know a, a great experience you know and you know, some, as i said but sometimes i've played in all fair games that being very dour you know, people said, what's it like? I went, well, it wasn't that good. <laughs> you know, but it's because of the performance of us on the pitch, more than anything. If we, if we put in a performance on the pitch, the atmosphere goes up. Not you true. know, and, and it was the same in the Merseyside Derby. And you know, Obviously, you put in a good performance. The fans are, you know, are fantastic. If the players put in a sort of, you know, back down, kicking around, was a very scrappy game, and it's sort of, it has either there the, the atmosphere is not that good. So it's down to the players. With the players, they were a bit of magic and a, and start showing you know, through tackles in there the, the atmosphere goes up so it's but nine times out of ten in, in Scotland you know they are the fierce affairs and you know when, when it goes right uh, there's not much you can beat.
0: <laughs> so in 2005 you made the move to PSV did you have offers from other clubs in the UK then or was playing abroad something you always wanted to try?
1: Um, well, playing abroad was always quite very early on. Not in my head, but in offers from the club, like Roma. Uh, were always looking at me when I was when I was at Everton Football Club, and I always think, why would I Roma? Why was I going to Italy? But you know, it was just they just. I think my style was more foreign back then. Um, you know, left back as well. Yeah, and I was left back and well, left as left of three as well. And yeah, and it was just probably the way I played. And it was it's always been spoke about, but it's never been in my ambition at all really i've always just thought well you know, my ambition was to stay in Everton for the rest of my career you know, i never thought yeah. of anything else um yeah. but unfortunately again the ranger situation come to the heart where i you know i had to move on you know spoke to graham sooners who was at newcastle at the time um and but i agreed uh birmingham decided uh oh, nicky but and i agreed with steve bruce to, to go to birmingham mm-hmm. um but then it was i think it was like a but well, my agent did. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was like, a, th- like a, th- a three-year deal. But then I think the owner went away. You know, I think he went on holiday in the mountains. And no one could get hold of him to finalise if everything was okay. Handy. Uh, and, I, and, I, and on the, the last day of the transfer, you know, I was basically sitting in my house in Glasgow thinking what's happening. Right. Um, and the agent turned up and said, Birmingham said, yeah, the deal's on, but it's only one year. I was like, oh, you know, what, what am I going to do now? So I had a choice, really. I, I had, you know, a big choice. to. I knew I, well, I wouldn't be able to play at Rangers. So, you know, being up in Scotland, they're not playing football. You know, the year before, at Rangers, you know, they had a, a contract problem. And you know, I was paying 4000 just to play, just to, to get back in the fold, to get me, get me back in the in the picture to, for the clubs to come in and, oh, and, and take me away. Um, so when Birmingham come in, I thought, well, I've got to go to Birmingham and prove a point. Um, and on the way to the airport, um Gus Hiddink phoned me mobile. And I wouldn't have normally answered it, I just thought it was a weird number. For some reason I answered the phone and it was Gus Hiddink. And he spoke <laughs> to people at the club. He seen me games that we played in the Champions League against a, another Dutch team area a few weeks earlier. Yeah. Uh, they just sold their, they got to the semi finals against um, AC Milan in two thousand and five. You know, they should have beat AC Milan. AC Milan scored an away goal to play Liverpool in the final. That sort of knocked PSV out, and they sold their left back then to Tottenham. Uh, so they needed to fill that gap, and yeah. he, he made that call and he said all the right things and you know about improve me, develop me as a player still, and hopefully get me back in the England team. And you know, so he, he said everything. So I put the phone down and said, Trevor, I think uh, <laughs> have you spoken to PSG?" And he said, "PSV." And he said, "No, uh, they, they, they wanted you on loan, but the Rangers said that's a no-go." And he said, "Oh no, he's talking about." signing me, and he goes, oh, let's get to the airport because I'm driving." And then he just said, "Look, yeah, it's right, it's on. So what do you want to do?" And I went, "Well, you know, I've got a chance to play for PSV, Champions League. I'm, I'm off." Um, so that was, so that was it then. And then again, it was um, obviously different culture, Um but it, the trainer was similar to what I was used to because obviously we we're, were assigned at Rangers. So it was after Cat and uh, Jan Valters was one of the coaches and um <clears throat> so I knew the Dutch way of training. So it was just trying to learn the language and you know integrate and show everyone I was it was capable of. It was very yeah. it's very family orientated club. You know, obviously with Phillips uh, being the owner, he'd be around going to the games and the training ground would be open for fans. So there'd be a couple of hundred people every day. Um in and around just having a coffee watching you train. So it was very relaxed um atmosphere but you had to perform. And it was a similar pressure than it was at Rangers. Yet you, you, you wanted the better teams in the league, but you've got to perform. You've got to perform well, and you've got to perform with a certain standard. Yeah, the pressure uh, to, to win games. And you know, the year before they had a successful year, so they wanted to go again. So yeah, I was. It was it was nice They reached out to me to, to fill that gap and to to push on. But unfortunately, I was cut tied because the back then because it was I played the earlier Champions League qualifiers at Rangers that they wouldn't allow it. Oh, nice. Um with the arrangement for the next bit. So it was uh yeah. um that was disappointing, but you know, we won the league pretty pretty convincingly and uh, we got to the cup final and we unfortunately got beat last minute against It uh, So it was it a was successful like first year and I enjoyed it. Um, you know, there was there was people over there who Danny had a match here from Everton, he knew somebody, so I used to meet them and uh, just relax in, in, in the meantime. But the players, you know, Clive was joining. There was Philip Cocu, captain of, of Barcelona, for so many years. Um, you know, Alex was the centre-half who went to Chelsea yes, um, after a couple of years. And Gomez, the goalkeeper, the far, far fan up front. And Aruna Kone, he used to sit next to. And then he obviously sent for Everton a few years later on. So, so, yeah, the way the Dutch went about things was, I get it, I, I had a lot to learn because it was sort of, opposite the way I've been brought up say the English FA way uh, the Dutch have their own way um, so it was a learning curve but it was something that you know, I, I'm great to see now kids going abroad young players going abroad to to open their minds because I think it help us English players internationally as well knowing how the other teams think and how other teams go about things uh, we've probably been so single minded thinking England is the best and we are the best we're doing things the right way but Unfortunately, course, the international level, we're failing. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the,
0: the, the... That was sometimes going to yeah. you know, because you look at people like Jadon Sancho who's gone to Dortmund now. Do you think it yeah. is like, really beneficial for these players to move abroad and kind of hit the reset button, really, and, you know, learn? Yeah, well, it, just... it,
1: yeah, well you know, they're obviously very, very good players to go to these teams. These aren't – they're not going to small teams abroad. They're going to top, massive yeah. European clubs who are – you know, doing well in Europe year after year. Um, but that's going to develop them. You know, they've been at, you know, trying he's been at Manchester City learning his trade, you know, everything that, you know, of the England sort of way, but now the Germans are going to put a bit of extra to him. So that's right. going to bring his his whole round football brain and his ability much better. And then when, it, that's going to help England in the, you know, going to these European championships and these World Cups, you just hope that, you know, so many going away. You know, I went away abroad when it wasn't fashionable. But yes. I always said it, you know, it, it, it it did help me when when I moved back to England of yeah. how to look after the lads in the changing room for them, You know how to go about different. When I was at Eng, at Everton, I was a young kid. There was Fodders, but I didn't think it was my job to say hello to, or not say hello to them, but to yeah. you know how you're settling in. You know, you know the family okay. I was too probably too dedicated <laughs> on myself and focused on myself. Yeah, and it was up to and probably. England wasn't ready for the, for the influx of so many foreigners at that time. Yeah. We're going away to Holland, and they see you know, the, the Mario's and the all coming up, and you know, they all settle in. Um, you're thinking, well, if they can settle in, coming from Brazil, and and come and, and leaving this club as legends, you know, they're obviously doing something right. Um, you know, and we had different cultures. You know, there was the um, South Americans couldn't speak English or Dutch. I couldn't speak South American. <laughs> uh, you know, we had like a mixed table where I was, there was a couple of English lads, like an Australian-American guy uh, be on my table, a couple yeah. of Dutch lads who could speak English. But football's all one language, and it's all about your coaching, your coaching staff, and how they go about it in training, spending time on that pitch. And then it, when, you see it, when you see it on Saturday, it just it all clicks. It's just because of the ability the players around you, but also down to the coaching. There's no, no excuses. I think England used to try and find excuses um you are know, probably back in my day earlier on go well they need time to settle or you know they need to learn the language to play football you know i think just that's that's just an excuse a bit of a cop out really good players find a way of playing well together and uh that's just all down to your coaching and and your manager i feel
0: yeah so you go and join man city in january 2007 you go and make 63 appearances for the club how do you look back now at your time at city cuz I think towards the end of your career at City, Shape Man's buys the club, so what was that like being at the club, knowing a lot of money was going to be pumped into it?
1: Um, well, it was, I was at City for, say, three, three and a half years, was it? Three years. And I was sort of three different managers, uh, three different owners. Um, obviously, when I first went, Stuart Pearce there, they couldn't really, um, the club were probably in a bit of a bad way, um, sort of fighting relegation and, and, and money money problems off the pitch, and then, um, uh, Akson, the, the, the Thailand president, so he bought the club, um, in the summer and promised a lot of money. You know, he, he, he promised he's going to be, I think he's probably two billion pounds he, he promised to spend on, on, on the club. So that year, uh, when he brought Sven, he, he was talking about building academies all around the world, um, and having. Mini Man City is all around the world. Probably what Man City are doing now. Yeah, that yeah. was sort of his, that. That was his dream, and what he wanted to do. Um, and we start, And we brought in a lot of players, Sven came in coming very late. Um, I think we bought nine players in a week before the season. Um, but we we started really well. You know, we were we were probably second, third, and fourth. Probably all the way up to Christmas, and we just faded away after January through one reason or another. I, I feel it's down to. I can't blame the funders, because the are the one who got us there. It was yeah. just them first year and playing in England, playing over Christmas they've never done before. Uh, like Alano, they're flying to Brazil. He was fantastic. And then you know, he's a, he's a great player, but he's flying to Brazil, being our best player, and then coming back from Brazil say Friday morning, then we're expecting him to be, you know,
0: on the ten game. out of ten
1: yeah. again. Yeah on, the, yeah, on the so over to, over the period of time, you know, that's going to take its toll. And you know, they were so technically about Giovanni Alano uh Petroff in front of me. Great players and the, when they were probably dipping in form, we're well, probably not dipping in form, just the rest of us weren't good enough to to carry them. You know, when, you know they carried us to, to keep us up to that table, but then the rest of us probably couldn't you know keep up when they probably wanted a bit of a bit of backing themselves. We just started fading away. We got we got Europe, they had a fair play, but still Europe but um it was just a disappointing end uh, the way it sort of started so rosy. The pressure on Sven, again, Sven being Sven, the media just absolutely loved him. So, a lot of our games were on the Sunday, all and the eyes of the world were all, were all on Sven, and he took it in his stride. But it gave us that opportunity to to go out and for us to focus on our football. The pressure was more on Sven than it was the players. Um, so, that, and then obviously disappointing, that Sven uh, left because the, for, for one reason or the other, wasn't happy with how it finished. Um, and then they found out, you know, the money was frozen. They didn't have any money. <laughs> you know, the yeah, money was, yeah. what was promised was not there. Um, and then Sheikh Mishaw come in. Um, and then Mark Hughes came in. And then for myself, it was, again, it's sort another of reset button. You, you, Sven, I missed out there, sorry. When he's he buying the players, you know, he said to players, in the, so you go players, if you want to move on, I'll help you move on. If you want to fight for your shirt, fight for your shirt. And, you know, I was I knew Sven was gonna bring in a left back, but I was ready to have a fight and have an opportunity to show what I was what I was and awesome. you know um Yavi yeah, did well for for a while, but Sven promised me that he'd give me an opportunity. He promised the three goalkeepers. There was As- Isaacson, who was the number one, there was Castus Michael, who did really well for six games. He promised everyone six games and he'll pick who's the best and uh, you know, history tells itself obviously Joe Hart took, you know, kept the shirt but he could easily could have kept Kasper in because he did nothing wrong for the six games he was involved yeah, uh, but Sven was, Sven was just man of his word and I got my opportunity and, and then the shirt was mine then for, for me to lose yeah. and then when Mark Hughes came in again promising more money new owner we're thinking oh here we go again you know is this real you know we'd probably somebody talk about a bit of a pinch of salt really thinking oh here's another owner with some money um, and probably didn't take it too serious until we start seeing the names that we were getting linked with. You know, you see Rabinio coming in. Um, they were getting linked with uh, Kaka. Kaka was, was verbally agreed to come with us. but We had a change of heart last minute. It's so crazy. then you're thinking, wow, this is real. You know, <laughs> this is real. But for myself, I'm thinking, let's not get sucked up. That. I, I need to, you know, you know, I've only got a year to prove to Mark Hughes that, you know, I deserve to be in, I want to win another contract. So it was all down to me, you know, for me being selfish myself to start putting performances in. Um, You know, which I thought did really well. Um, There was talks of new contracts happening. And then just after the Christmas break, playing so many games over the Christmas period, um, sadly, me me knee, you know, just couldn't not handle the the games after game. Um, Probably sort of didn't really get looked after properly. Um, you know, normally you, you you play a game on a Saturday, you, you chill out for a couple of days, but you, you're playing football, you're playing the premier, you're playing a high standard. The doctors are telling you not to, but you're thinking, well, I'm still playing at a good level. I'm still might getting a couple of man of the match awards, and, you know, so it can't really I mean, can't be that bad. But then unfortunately, it sort of blows up on you, and then you you're back on a treatment table, and you're getting a I told you so" what you're doing type, <laughs> telling off by the surgeons and. Unfortunately that was my career that city over. Um you know out for you know a good period of time. Um obviously Mark Hughes was not gonna then not give me a contract and uh, I was just had to go in and be around the city lads. Um as all these big players started coming in. I think Lescott was probably the biggest one, came in just before I left uh, for the last time. But you know, you could just see it was it was real. You know the uh, the change the changing room sort of got on a re The the club got a re-ramp and it was just gone from one level to another level again within a couple of years. And you just knew that this these guys were serious, and one day they're going to be you know, a force for, you know, for Manchester United and everybody else in the league. And um, you know they have gone about it an expensive way, but it's a, a way that, if you're a City fan, you're probably loving any, every bit of it.
0: What was the um, the sort of like the camaraderie and the you know the dressing room and stuff like at Man City, then compared to being at Everton and Rangers. Because I can imagine if I try and put myself in your shoes, all these players are coming in signing from some massive teams, your Alanos, Petrovs, etc. Different nationalities, different characters. Was it, was it like a happy dressing room, or was it something that you hadn't experienced before?
1: Um, no, it was something that it was. It was different, um, you know, but it's, it happens majority of the year, especially in Holland. You now, yeah. Holland do normally do America I round of players, you know, every, maybe every couple of years they do successful and then the, the players move on. They, you know, they end up going to the biggest leagues in the world, you know, go to Spain, England and, and Italy. Yeah, uh, and, then, and then you sort of start again and then you develop a couple of more. So I've been around a lot of changes. Um, but yeah, but probably the Man City one, it was the, probably the level of the, the players walking in. Mm-hmm. So many of them, you know, Tevez coming in, you're thinking, you know, Rubinho's coming in, you're going, it wasn't just a number. There, was, there were world-class players coming in who were hungry, yeah, obviously really- getting, you know, obviously good contracts to come to the club, but they were hungry because the pressure was on them to put, to put the club to yeah. another level. You know, they've been sold the dream of what the club wanted to be, but it's up to them to go out on the pitch and, and deliver. Um, you know, and it, you, you're going to get the ones who can who can rise to the occasion, and you get some 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 ones that you know just the pressure gets too much for them. But you could you could just see that the club were were doing everything possibly they can, you know, to it's obviously start winning silverware for say yeah. the sleeping giants of Manchester City, and and then when you see so many big players coming in, you just you just that's when you sort of knew that like, this is real. This is happening. It's not a you know what happened the year oh, before oh, with the right. down and donor and you're just thinking, you know, who who else was coming? <laughs> you know, yeah. you're like you're probably looking and thinking who else is like stars in their eyes who's coming through this door now. <laughs> you know? when and so it was <laughs> great. It's good, you know, the Craig Bellamy coming in, and uh, it was just it was it was different because everyone was it made training a lot. Mark Hughes, the good thing about Mark Hughes, that his training sessions were intense. So it's got that sort of competitiveness is around us. It's better quality around you, but you know you've still got to show what you're all about to, to to get that share to the weekend. So you know it was it just took it training to another whole level again um, than what it was the the previous years. And you know you see obviously see City what they've done in you know the last ten years or so. And you know they're still never going to be happy until you know they they've got more silverware and obviously the Champions League is what the. You know, they're crying out for and the the one that they've always wanted, and yeah. you know, I feel they've had a lot of bad luck in that in that competition. But you you need it in in cup competitions. You need it. You need your ability. You need the yeah, hunger for your players. But also, you also, yeah, you you need your luck at times, and um, and sometimes you've got to make your own luck. Um, but you know, it won't it won't be long until they, they'll have a Champions League. I, don't, I think their owners are hungry for it. So they'll they'll stop at nothing until they till they get it. Yeah.
0: So now you're a football agent, but you've also got a column in Liverpool Echo as well. Are both of those roles yeah. something that you've always known you've wanted to go into after retiring <laughs> from the game?
1: No, no, not at all, no. <laughs> no, no I, I used to hate journalists. I hated <laughs> talking to the media. Uh, I didn't mind talking to the media, but you just knew that they were trying to get a story out of you. So okay, you're, okay. you're, yeah, you, you, you come across quite, boring and dull because you don't want to give anything away you don't want to uh, dish your teammates you don't want to dish your manager by saying the wrong thing sometimes if you're younger you might say a few things being a bit naive but that you learn from it and uh, especially up in Glasgow you have to be very careful with the media so and now as a player, you look at the papers. Some you know, people play say so they don't, they do. They look at the ratings, what they're, they're given them. If you get a dodgy five, you're like that, I don't like him anymore. And, and but that, it, it's a quite a bit of a buzz, really. Um, and then I have yeah. the blue, I got a phone I got a phone call uh, from Greg Keith. Um, again, you know, I'm not one for answering my phone really, but I, I answered the phone and he just said, Look, there's a you know, a column, you know, it's been uh, one of the I can't remember who left now, I think it must have been Ian Snowden. There's a, there's a piece available. Do you want to do it? And I said, I'm not really. You know, it's not my cup of tea. And then he said, Just give it a go. And then, yeah. you know, it's dead easy. I was like, Well, is it? You know, <laughs> I didn't want to be a player dissing. I know how hard it is being a player. I know what the. The difficulties is of, you know, you don't know everything. You know, fans obviously want the best of every player, but you don't know the ins and outs of what the uh, what the managers told them to do. You know, you probably listen to what pundits on Sky say and think they're right, and sometimes they are, but the manager might have said to them to do a play a certain way, and they're getting stick for that, yeah. and um, and stuff, and maybe in private life and stuff. So I know how difficult it is. So I didn't want to be one of them, sort of, go into that pundit punditry way. Um, but then, as soon as I started, you know, I, I just turned into a fan. I put that to one side. And I've still got to be mindful of what it's like being a player. But I know what fans expect. I know what fans' minimum requirements are. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if the players aren't do it, I will, I will dig them out. Because I'll, I'll be digging them out if I was still playing. If they were a teammate, I'd be saying it to them, to the face in the changing room. So it's not much different than what I do in my column. But when they play well... and. You do well, you get the right results. You need the plaudits as well, so it's something I've been um, enjoying quite a lot. You know, I've grew into it, um, so I'm really, really enjoying it. Just obviously, lockdown was a bit difficult, you can't go to the game, so the same most of the game, last obviously few games of the season, you watch it on telly, and you know, it's hard nice. to be obviously. probably, uh, yeah. So it's, it is a bit difficult, but you know, it's, it's something I really enjoyed. Um, the agency side of things, again, sort of out of the blue. Um You know, I got asked to sort of help and consult the local agency, and I thought, well, not, it's not really my cup of tea. But then you start meeting the players, you meet the parents, and then you feel you've got this sort of experience you can pass down to them. Because take you back,
0: coaching, your time, yeah.
1: yeah. And co- coaching wasn't was never sort of going to be for me. You know, I, I, I was going to go down that route, and it's, I just knew it was not me. But this is a new way of sort of working hand in hand with someone closely, like one v one, and giving them your guidance and your experience and, and to also speak to the, you know, speak to the parents a lot being uh, being like an agent and um, the, the pit let's say the pitfalls, but what to look out for and what not to get sucked into and and all you 've got to do is try and give every every tool you can possibly to, to your players so for, yeah. the, for them to go out and express themselves and, and hopefully they'll they 'll have a great career you know whatever level themselves and get the best out of their ability and that 's all. I'm basically trying to do now. Um, you know, it, it wasn't sort of reaching out to bring players through. It's just the phone started ringing and uh, parents contacting some players, contact ex-players got to retire quite early. You know, they needed help, um, you know, even though they're the old and wise enough themselves. They've probably been used to agents doing a lot of things for them. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> quite <laughs> it so lazy, but then it, again, that was, that was the way it was back then. So it's, it's, it's a different way about going about it. It's about, you know, watching a young kid and develop being a, a man off the pitch as well. But yeah. all realising he's still a young boy, you know, and he's got to put every effort he can into, into the game as football to get the benefits out of it. And, yeah, no, you yeah. know, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm just saying. Yeah, it's just you know, being a mentor for them, really. You know, agents is not really that sort of thing I'd really like be stuck to. You know, it's, it's just, it's my sort of consultancy of being around, of being a mentor for the parents and the player themselves and give them every advice possible and let them choose you know I'll give them my advice and let them choose and you know make their own career for themselves instead of sort of being probably being dictated to like many ages have in the past
0: Fantastic so finally the podcast is centred around going the match so with every podcast we're doing I want to end by asking what are your top three favourite matches you've been to or obviously in your case that you played in so I know you'll have I'd imagine you have quite a few to pick from there
1: so the top (laughs) Oh God! <laughs> right, um, I probably have to say Everton ninety five. Um, I was going to say one of playing in the Anfield last time we were at Anfield, <laughs> uh, but when but but as a fan, there was ninety five. Obviously, my first sort of FA Cup final. Yeah. I missed eighty four. I was young, so it was, was ninety five. in the FA Cup final, and you know. Um, just watching the Blues, you know, win win that FA Cup against you know a brilliant Man United side and big Niall was fantastic on that day. You know, that'll have to be in my top three. Um, it, number one would have to be when I was playing. Would, would have to be the Helicopter Sunday, the final day um, of when we won the league for Rangers, where we were playing catch up for. The, the last four or five games of that season against Celtic. Celtic just needed to win to win the league and, you know, we needed to win to sort of pile the pressure on. we won and, and Celtic failed to do that and you know, the helicopter turned around and the green ribbons come off and the blue ones come on and going out celebrating afterwards with still be yeah. kit on. You know, It's iconic, like, like you
0: know,
1: isn't it? Yeah, yeah it was, you know, it's unbelievable that people still talk about it today and probably many used to come but it was that so excited to get back to Ibrox and see the fans... You know, yeah. the, we played away from home and we got back to Ibrox and you know there was thousands and thousands of fans inside waiting for us to come back and you know, many of the lads didn't even get a shower we just threw our suits <laughs> on and, sure. and we still yeah. had our you know still had our kit underneath and we just wanted to get back to the atmosphere on the bus going back to Ibrox that was yeah, that was fantastic that was, so that's got to be my number one yeah um, uh, sorry what did I say before 95 um uh Oh, it's so difficult it's, it could be the Anfield one but then you'll, you won't be happy with that I probably have to say my me, me first trophy as a professional you know it probably wasn't the best of games but personally for myself just the way it was the way I got injured from Rangers um,
0: that must have been great yeah. I feel like you were writing you know you're writing your name in Rangers history as well
1: yeah and it's just, it took a while you know being there for a couple of years you know my injuries set me back and you know, I just didn't think it was ever going to happen. I've missed a double, I missed a treble, uh, and then I'm thinking, when's well, it going to be my turn? And and it's yeah. probably, as I was saying before, going on that pitch and you know getting the applause out of the fans because I've had a, I've been a part of it. Yeah. You know, um, and and that's probably been me, you know, me, me first silverware as a you know a proper professional. You know, as a kid, you would have medals coming you know, all over the place for winning it, all kinds of things, but the ones that you turn professional for is the ones that you know you're going to remember for exactly. for many years to come for your family. So. I'll have to put put that game in. It's the League Cup, and it's just a League Cup, but it's my first one. So it still means so much. It makes you hungry again to, to to get more. And luckily enough, I got the League at range range the helicopter one, but then also the PSV title as well, which you know it's obviously a good thing to look at back on now.
0: Brilliant. So before you go, I just I'm, say, I'm
1: gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going I'm gonna wake up tonight, aren't I, thinking about all the games that going to say?
0: There'll be fantastic. so many
1: going into my head, so, but
0: uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, top my me head. There, the first thing that came to me.
0: <laughs> so before you go, I mate, mean, I just want to say a massive thanks for giving up your time and coming on and giving me the opportunity to have a have a word of you today and go through, you know, your life being a fan and then obviously coming through your career and then what you're doing now with the Echo. So just a massive thank you. No,
1: oh, no, no problem at all. No, enjoyed it. Thanks very much.
0: Thank you, mate. Cheers. If you haven't already, please subscribe, follow no. and share. And of course, leave a five-star rating.